Today's episode is with my friend Clarissa Parody. You will be interested in this episode if you have ever considered yourself a perfectionist, if you've ever gotten frustrated over the strengths of somebody else, or if you've ever gone to school. Um, elementary school, junior high school, high school, post-secondary. If you are goal-oriented or frustrated with your obstacles, I think you should give this one a listen. We talked about her different career experience, life experience, almost dying, and we talked a little bit about fitness and her experience as a rowing instructor. So give this one a listen or a watch, and thank you for supporting the Lifestyle Chase. Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase, season two. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. I'm your host, Chris Little, Let's get started. The Lifestyle Chase is brought to you by Yeg Fitness. Yeg Fitness is Edmonton, Alberta, Canada's healthy lifestyle community, creating and supporting active living for all. Check them out online at yegfitness.ca and on social media at Yeg Fitness. I almost forgot to mention one last thing. So I need your help in promoting the Lifestyle Chase. And one way that you can do that is to go onto Instagram and follow the Lifestyle Chase account. In that account, you get to see some previews of all of the episodes past and present. Um, you can interact, you can comment on the challenges, and overall, you just get to support my passion project, which means a lot to me. The other ways that you can support is by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform, sharing with a friend, sharing the episodes on your social media and tagging me so I can see your repost make a huge difference because it expands my audience and helps get the podcast a bit more traction so that hopefully one day this can be bigger, a bigger project that can support me as an individual, which would mean a lot. So thank you. So welcome to episode 122 of the Lifestyle Chase. I am joined by Clarissa Parody. How are you doing today? So great. So good. It is Friday of a long weekend. The sun is shining. Things are ticking along. Life is good. How about you? How are you doing? I don't even know what days of the week are anymore. Like, what is your <laughs> what is your routine like? How how has the pandemic changed your lifestyle? Uh, honestly, in the only thing that's really changed is everything outside of work. I'm still working Monday through Friday. And then whatever t else it takes required outside of normal business hours. Um, other than that, it's like just not doing the normal things like being with friends or sweating in community. And those are the things I really miss. But the work is still here. I just get to work from home. So, so I shift for sure, but I still get to work. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, when it comes down to describing what you do for work, if you're at a party, how would you describe what you do for work? Depends on the audience. <laughs> Sometimes... <laughs> I call myself a font therapist. Sometimes I'm a wordsmith. Uh, if I was to describe generally what I do, I live in the world of dot connecting, strategizing, and creating meaningful messages. So that shows up in my current role as in, I work for, I run a marketing team, and I also have my own business that kind of was birthed organically through that process that really helps people tie their messaging to their purpose and brand and pull them forward into living a life they love. So what kind of inspired you to get into that line of work, that industry? Which one? <laughs> I guess <laughs> I guess it would be your your uh, your job where you are working for somebody else. Where I'm working for someone else. So I have this, ha <laughs> um, I'm an opportunist is for sure what it is. And I also trust that when opportunities come up, if it feels good, or I say feels good, if it feels like the place I should be, then I take it. So my intention was to never be in business. I thought it was gross <laughs> and I thought it was smarmy. And um, the people at the time that I knew in business were like that. And I, I, you, I mean, you're what, 15, you've got like an end value of two and the two people in business, you know, were like, Ooh. and it turns out half of my family runs businesses on their own, even before I even was aware of it at 15. And I recognize that that's not the case. So I ended up in marketing because someone saw something in me when I was running programming for the city of Edmonton that said, hey, look, your skills are really transferable to property management. Would you like to try that? And I was like, cool, let's give it a whirl. And then I was in property management and I was like, this is, this is not as fun as I thought it was going to be. 
And someone was like, hey, we think you'd be really good in marketing. Do you want to try that? I said, okay. And so a series of saying yes really brought me to where I was or where I am rather. And in the mix of that, I also got to say yes to some other really cool things. Like on my heart of hearts, I probably touched the mic, I apologize. I, I love leadership. And when I was in my like young adulthood years, I was super passionate about youth leadership. And so in between property management and marketing, I found time and created time to take a master's in leadership because I said, you know what, at the end of the day, I want to make a difference. And I want people to feel empowered to make the difference they were designed to make. So how can I have access to that? If I could unleash young people or other people so that they can live into what they're supposed to live into, imagine the world we could live in. So I did my master's in that too. And that's where that other business came along. And it turns out that degree ended up supporting me in my marketing ventures as well. If we took a time machine back 15 years, where would that put you in your life? What was what was going on? What Ooh. was happening? What was going on? Oh, I was probably at my most creative. I was probably still, I was in grade school for sure. I was in high school, maybe just at the end of high school. Oh my gosh, it's, yeah, just the end of high school. And I was learning all about, like, I think it's where my first hit of team made sense. So I was really into the performing arts and live theater productions and seeing different groups of people like the band coming together to make the music to soundscape the stage, the tech crew building and lighting and calling the show and the actors on stage and the directors behind making sure there's red threads throughout. It was so cool to see such diverse groups come together and create something that had like a fully polished, beautiful project at the end. So that's where I was 15 years ago. And it launched me forward probably into my early 20s where I was still teaching theater. But it was, it was the beauty of it was that you could have so many diverse skill sets and still create something together. So as a generalization, I was able to pull forward into my career now. So were you just into theater or was there other things that made up who you were as like uh, just ready to finish high school kind of individual? Oh my gosh, I would have stayed in high school forever. Um, my high school experience was an extremely grounding one in so many ways. It was incredibly powerful for my development. And it's where I really learned um, how people can take a stand for each other. So I went to a performing arts high school and a visual arts high school. And what was beautiful about that is there is a level of enrollment and engagement and choice that I, that I don't know if is accessible at every school, but for sure was at the time available where I was studying. And most of the people wanted to be there. They chose to be there. They had to apply to be there and the teachers want to be there. And so I got exposed to these humans who were a stand for each other and said, hey, that's what you want to create. How can I help? So in that moment, I can remember deciding, like, no matter what I want to do is, is I want to help people. So, like, I mean, I had the academics. I was in IB. I don't know why. It seemed like a good idea. It turns out it was a lot of work uh, between musical theater, dance, acting, directing. That was my entire life. And it was always in community, always in team and always in some form of like leadership, whether leading from the top, leading from within or leading from behind. You're all, I was always in a space where I felt like I could make a difference. So yeah, basically just the arts and leading at all times. What inspired you to go into that, that school, that environment, that community in the first place? Uh, elementary was an interesting place for me, which is where I made the decision that it wasn't working for me. So I think one of my like, superpowers is being able to see the good in things and <clears throat> listening to other people's experiences and opportunities. So at the time, there was a school called Stage Polaris, and it was designed specifically for after-school programming that supported children interested in the fine arts. And I attended there and I met this girl named Angie. I think she now goes by Angela. And she was like, she was such a, oh my gosh, you need to go to the school. Like where I was attending school, the junior highs in my community, although they had a, they had great people in them, they also didn't support where my, my heart and passions were. And she's like, if you want to grow, if you want to like, whether you stay in the arts forever or not, like this is a place you'll feel like you like belong here. These are where your people are. And I remember just, clearly hearing her stand for what was possible for me and then talking to my mom and saying, Hey, listen, this is an opportunity. Like 
I really want to go here and enrolling my mom in that vision and then also rallying the troops to enroll that vision as well. So talking to my grandparents, getting Angie to talk to my mom, all of those things, I was like, this is where I belong. Because at the time, it was weird that I loved school and that I loved the arts and that I was fully free in my self-expression. That's like pretty, like a grade six kid, grade five kid. That's when people, like I really noticed a peak in our school for like clicks and bullying. And I just was like, well, this is what I like. Like you can call me dictionary. That's fine. Did you, you should try reading it. There's some great words in there. And I just was like, that. that's where I want to be. So finding out that the school I was interested in or that was there, that existed that I didn't know uh, I had an interest in was both academic and full of the arts. I was like, that is for me. Take me there, send me there. And it, I think this is just a testament to like, not just specifically to me, but to anyone who's like, oh my gosh, that next thing I'm on fire. I'm full of joy. I can see the possibility. Like I would dream about it. And I, I can remember like imagining what it would be like to go there and the people that I would get to meet and the friends I would get to have and the like experiences and the possibilities and like some of the fear and the unknown but it's one of those traits that no matter what I do even going forward now in my life I'm like oh my gosh when I can feel it see it see it taste it touch it dream it I'm like that is what pulls me forward like creating that really big shared vision and for myself even and really getting clear on it like I it opens up so many experiences and if it wasn't for that I think how many times would I have like missed out or maybe not had the access to even coping mechanisms as adults. What I learned, interestingly enough, in my adult years, is a lot of the drama warm-up exercises we did are also some of the same things that are taught in like a variety of therapies to like calm yourself down and get yourself grounded. And who knew actors do it every warm-up? So it was just skills that I was able to take through life when I was like, oh, I need to feel grounded. I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew I'd learned it in drama and it worked for me. So to kind of close the loop on that, what had me interested is that someone saw a vision and I said yes. And then I immersed myself in that vision and then I let it pull me forward. So when it comes down to the first three years after you graduated high school, like where did you see yourself going and what actually happened? Like um, Instagram versus reality kind of thing. Oh, fine. I love this game. Um, I have never known the title of my job ever i've known what i wanted to feel like and i think at a cellular level when you know what it feels like there's like a kind of memory that's in your body like when for example when you ride a bike and you sit, sit on it and you're like oh my gosh i haven't done this in a while but oh this feels i know how to feel this out i know where my balance is where my center is that is how it worked for me so for my first job coming out of um or high school, I started, I was like, I know I want to be where I feel self-expressed and joyous and playful. So I ended up getting a really great job at an overnight summer camp, which was unbelievable. And it was filled with like ready arts, community, culture, like everything that I was like, whoo, this is amazing. And then following university, it was the same thing. I was like, where do I fit and belong where I know I can feel this way? And so I've had, I think I've worked, if I recall correctly, seven different industries. <laughs> And they've all brought to me the things I, that I like to feel. And it's not that I'm flippant or capricious. It's that I go where the passion is because every single time I get bigger and better and it's not about tenure and it's not about um, making sure you've stayed with a company for, for like 10, 20 years. It's about are you living into what lights your soul on fire? Because when you are a light and a lit, imagine the impact and the light and space you hold for other people. So... Uh, what I anticipated was that I'd probably teach because I didn't know where, what else would make me feel self-expressed and alive. And then when I uh, went to go switch from my, my program into an education program, I got violently ill. And I was like, that's not it. <laughs> so I, I stayed in my degree of psychology focusing on like, it was an arts degree, but I loved neuroscience. So almost all my courses were neuroscience the second I was able to take them. And although I did a psych Spanish degree, I didn't let it dictate my future. I got, I get the say. So now I, I run a marketing team and have like a consulting coaching agency. So you just never know how it, how it'll, how it'll fall out. And I think the whole, um, I don't know if always following your heart is like the best decision. Cause I know sometimes my heart is brought to things that are maybe nostalgic and are familiar rather than serving me. 
what I've developed over time, discernment to really connect with what will make a difference and impact in my life and what brings out the best in me rather than the familiar in me. And I think that's really where life is going because I don't know if I'll be in marketing forever. Who knows? Who knows? Probably not. But it's, it's what brings you forward, you know? So what was your very first day like on that marketing job? Okay, well, I'll go to when I first, the current job I have where I switched um, into, like, it's, it's, it's all very amoeba-y and it absorbs each other and it changes shape. So my first day at this current job, I was, I was so excited. Um, I didn't originally, I wasn't originally running the team fully and on my own. And I, I just saw possibility. And I think there was a level of like, people felt like they knew what they were doing. And I love when people are confident in their jobs, but also curious enough to like ask for new opinions and ideas. And I was super, super pumped about that. And over time, like ups and downs, you know, there's people that work well with you. There's people who don't. And now we're in a space where it's like, I have this amazing, like amazing team who is so they're together. They are just collaborative and supportive and energized and they are quick to take the lead from each other. So they really know how to banter together, which is what I've always dreamed of. So although I think it felt more of an island when I first started, I think we now have a really cool sense of togetherness. I like that. Um, when you talked about the seven different industries that you worked in, can you think of like yeah. three lessons that uh, come out of that that really stand out? Three lessons from the seven different industries? Three lessons from the seven different industries. I think one of the biggest things I learned was being having integrity with yourself. So there's been more than one time that I've had to switch early. I can remember making, maybe not in that moment quitting, but making the decision that this is no longer for me and not making myself wrong for the switch. So just because you are leaving an industry or shifting into a new company doesn't mean you fail, doesn't mean you've, you're wrong, doesn't mean you are bad. It just means you need a shift or you want a shift or you choose a shift. And also, and being clear when that time is for you. The first time I learned that I was severely out of integrity, I had been with the same company for five-ish years. And probably at year two, I was like, I can't do this anymore. And the impact of that was that I developed anxiety and I was like, I, I had to pull myself out of bed. I never, I'm like a morning person. I love daybreak. Give me a good dawn, I'm up. And I would jump out of bed for most things that like make me not feel like junk. And I ignored that. And what ended up surfacing out of that is I almost died twice during that job. And my body was just like, hey, you're not listening. So like, we're going to put brakes on you. And that's probably the biggest lesson out of everything I've learned so far is like have integrity with yourself and where you are in and out of alignment with your values. So that's probably my top lesson. Another really big lesson is there, there are strengths in others that will frustrate you and you need to honor their strengths and appreciate them. So this came up for me probably, like it's come up every, a recent on the court example is I could sense like there was some tension in my team and like, People didn't, one person didn't like how person B did this and person B didn't like how person C did this. And they, I was like, man, but you guys were all hired for those very reasons that you're complaining about. So what we did is we took those and we did strengths, individual strengths assessments and brought them to the table. And then we mapped them out as to why they fit within the organization. Because sometimes just because I'm not like a super detailed person, I can get frustrated with people who are like super detail heavy because like, oh my God, like, what's the point? Like, keep moving. Like, we don't need to know this. And it's not true. There's value in that. And so how can we really appreciate that person and what they bring to the team? So really focusing on when strengths are perceived as obstacles or weaknesses and how can you really acknowledge and appreciate them? And third, let's, I'm going to sit with it for half a second. Always find joy in what you do. 
And I don't mean you have to find it joy in every moment. And when I say joy, like happy for me can feel very transitional, but joyful feels like, oh my gosh, like I get to do this. And no matter what you're, what you like, I've literally caught vomit in my hands. And as for one of my jobs, when I was working with kids, I was like, white carpet. And I got it. And I don't know what it was, but you can't, well, you can get caught up in it. I don't advise getting caught up in it because if I sat there and like, man, all I do is catch puke and like clean up people's shit, which by the way, continues to happen as you change other people's jobs. You like, whether someone comes in and corporate seagulls on your meeting, throws up everywhere and you have to clean up mess, gives you a bunch of tasks or someone misses a project, poops the bed and you've got to fix it. It happens everywhere. But despite those moments, how can you still find joy when what you do? And if there's at least one thing you can find joyful in your day-to-day existence, you will have a transformative experience in your job. That's mind-blowing. I mean, I like that you talked about that, how no matter what, no matter what job you're in or industry, like metaphorically, somebody will puke on you or or shit on you (laughs) because it's It's totally true. It's an important takeaway. I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic and a person can get in the mindset of, oh, like, uh, I, I am in a compromised position because of this one thing that's wronging me, but it doesn't matter what time of year, um, what, what time in civilization, there's going to be something that gets in your way. And it's like, how do you handle it? Um, something that really got me thinking was you talked about how people felt angry by seeing the strengths in others. Um, why do you think, why do you think that is like, you talked about it a bit, but expand further upon that. And like, maybe if you can provide some examples and and strategies that you would recommend for people to kind of get over that. Okay. So I'll give an example of one of my team members who is an event planner and she's no longer my team. She's she's out goal crushing in the world. And that's the other thing. When you know your team has goals and they are outside of your organization, how are you supporting them? Not totally related to your question, but just so important to know, like know your humans, know your people, know your friends and how can you hold space for them to like goal crush? Because man, doesn't that feel so great when you're like, man, I've always wanted to do this. Anyways, so she's doing that right now. But what she was so good at was operating in absolute chaos. So that's, if you can't do that as an event planner, like if things can't go wrong and you can't be agile, you're a terrible person for events because you're going to melt down. And not that it's, you can't do it, but you're going to feel the stress. Like person, like you'll still get the job done. It'll probably still look great, but your personal experience is that, oh my gosh, things keep going sideways. So this particular person was so good at being agile on her feet and being able to shift and switch gears and think on the, on the spot. And because it was such a strength for her, sometimes she was just okay with operating in it when she probably could have thought of it a week or two in advance. And although that didn't bother me, it bothered other team members who get, uh, like there's some people in the world who really want everything meticulously planned so that there's no gaps, no possible chaos, nothing which is never possible. Um, you, you can make it think it's possible, but you know, the second you write the plan life was like, ha, just kidding. You can't have that. So it, plan it out fine. But how can you, su- the, the other team members who were, who needed to support our event planner were like, we don't know what's going on. It's not written down. Well, this girl has an incredible auditory memory. She is so passionate and purposeful, but it wasn't serving the other team members what they think they needed. Now, these team members aren't evaluated on her success, but it creates a dynamic that can be kind of tense. And when we were able to shine a light on, hey, this is why this works, if you were in this position, how would you handle the, the like the aha moments? Like, oh my gosh. It was just like the room went quiet. And it was a realization that her skill set made that job successful. And she was able to turn things around that weren't ever previously possible. And you can't always do that if you are stuck in the books on the plan with a timeline. Although both skills are good to have, you know. Uh, Another example of one of my strengths that's often perceived by weakness as a weakness or an annoying feature that I have is that one of my strengths is individualization. And in Tom Rath's Strengths Finder, what that refers to is the ability to see 
everyone is unique and different. And so it's like, holy wow, I have seen this not, not be well received in my family, on my teams, in social interactions. Like it could feel like in conversation with me that I'm taking the other person's side. And what's really happening is I'm like, I take a relatively like, well, you know, she has like a torn ligament. Maybe that's why she's walking slower today. Maybe that's why she's late. Like, like she should give herself more time. I'm like, well, there's also like room for consideration, you know, or if someone has an argument, like, well, did you think that maybe he's just feeling insecure today or that not feeling loved by you? And so my friends and their, their partnerships will be like, you always take his side. I'm like, I'm not taking anyone's side. I'm saying there's more than one experience and that's not always well received. And it can really be perceived as like, uh, not necessarily a weakness, but something that grinds people's gears. And so I think when you're really clear, uh, as clear as you can be on people's strengths, you can really appreciate them. And, and then rather than going into judgment, you can go into clarity because judgment makes things murky. Judgment makes you right and them wrong or you wrong and them right. It, it creates separation when really what you could do is rather than narrowing the vision, you could open it up. And that's why we focus on strengths and what they bring to the team and how they serve us as a group and how it makes the team better. Well, I think that's important in any industry. Like I see that a lot in, in the the fitness industry in how like, yeah, you can, you can get upset that uh, somebody did some cool booty workout on Instagram or you could highlight it because you couldn't possibly do as good of a booty workout on Instagram and just send everybody to that one. And it's just like collaboration moves everybody forward. Um, I, I kind of have this thought that I could promote somebody else's podcast on my podcast and I won't lose any listeners for my podcast. My listeners will just be a little bit more uh, intellectual because of that broad perspective of different people to listen to and different guests to hear from. And if I just focus on being myself, then the people who came to me in the first place probably will, will stick around. Um, for sure. You got me curious when you talked about dying twice. I would like to hear more. Like, how does one almost die twice? I know I have almost died oh. at least once. What was your experience like? I will, the total almost death experiences I've had, I think is close to five. <laughs> but during that particular time, I had like not so great things. So um, the most wild one was like, it was 2014. And I almost died from appendicitis. And who in 2014 almost dies from appendicitis? So um, basically, this was before I was really connected to my body. I was so focused on like on getting the goal and ticking the box and thinking that I could just push through everything rather than also like push, pause, breathe. I just only, I was a bulldozer. I was like, going to get my master's and I'm going to get this done. Tick, tick, tick. I got goals. I got goals. I got goals. And it's totally okay to have goals. And some of the goals that I had though, were coming from a place of like needing to prove myself needing to feel worthy, needing to feel like I made a difference because I, I wasn't making a difference. I wasn't making enough of a difference. Any difference you make is significant. Any difference you make is significant. And I didn't know that I was totally disconnected from that. I had a um, mentality that was burned into me as a child uh, that, you know, you'd bring at home an exam with 97% and like, that's pretty great. And I'd hear, where's the last three? And so I always thought it was 100%. So here I am doing all these things for 100% and I'm ignoring my body. And I kind of have a tummy ache. I'm like, oh, that's weird. And then I all of a sudden have really bad shoulder pain and that's kind of weird. And so I look at my boss on the third day. So I was like, I'm, I'm taking like painkillers regularly now. I kind of feel my exact words, like I'm exploding. <laughs> I think I need to see a doctor. And he was like, Chris, are you kidding? Like, are you sure? Because we had a fundraiser that was set to raise a quarter million dollars the next day. I was like, I'm not kidding. I think I'm really sick. <laughs> And so I go to the hospital and by the time I get there, there was no radio radiology tech. So I had to come back the next day. They examined me. Someone had to come see at a doctor. By the time I get back there, they send me home with some mad cocktail of injected painkillers. And then they're like, um, so your appendix is really bad. <laughs> you need to come back. 
And by the time they got me on the table, it had burst and I had become septic. So uh, I was super sick and in the hospital for like two months. And again, 2017, 2014, sorry, who's in the hospital for two months because of appendicitis? So that really jarred me back into mind-body connection. And I, you don't need, if it's too spiritual feeling for you, consider that it's science. Consider that there's literally studies done by the Mayo Clinic and Oxford to show what happens when you're aware of your body. Like I was so powerfully connected to my mind and I, your brain is such an amazing structure that I was actually able to not fully feel the pain I was in. And appendicitis is a crazy level of pain. And that is some kind of messed up when you're able to like sever your head from your neck and operate in the world. So consider there's power in your brain at all times and how you choose to use it is how it goes. So uh, I will always practice my body connection from now on. Was that the, the main example that, that kind of stands out the most for you? Oh my God. Yeah. There, well, I mean, I had high blood pressure as a kid and they were medicating me like I was an 80 year old man who had eaten McDonald's and that the drugs almost killed me. And then guess what saved my life? My mom bought me a puppy and she's like, we're taking her off the meds. We're going to try this like natural way and like gone. The dog cured me. Sweet angel. Uh, and then I had an anaphylactic reaction twice to two different kinds of antibiotics uh, which I didn't know that they could both be so severe, but that happened. And then I also have this really wicked scar from having an infection that happens to one in 300,000 people, usually old people who live in the desert. And I was five in the dead of winter. And then I've had a couple of internal hemorrhaging <laughs> situations happen because ovarian cysts sometimes burst and cause problems. So yeah, there's like, there's the bucket list of near-death experiences i feel like i have four more lives if i'm a human version of a cat right <laughs> so it was really good perspective to kind of bring to the to the table the fact that you know a person is capable of working their ass off to the extent that they could be working more than they possibly should i mean there's a lot of people that can relate to that a lot of people who have been a guest on the podcast in which they do have that mindset of like 97%, here you go. Well, where's the other three? What has been the most helpful uh, enlightening moments for you as far as like getting onto a path in which you're not so stuck on getting that 100% and where you are a little bit more intuitive towards like what you need to survive? Uh, I learned it after the fact, but I could have done a different, and it, I could have did it, I could have done it in a different way. What I did was I, when I took my master's degree, it, they were so amazing. Oh my goodness. These instructors were next level. We had people who understood the neuroscience of leadership. We had people who were health professionals teaching us about leadership. We had people who were teaching us about leadership in like systems. So there's a big thing called systems theories and it is wild. Like I still don't get it. It blows my mind, but it was also interconnected and it, it felt, um, it really created a sense of knowing and understanding that wasn't previously available. And shortly after that, like so that helped me create that mind body connection and really recognize what my body was going through. And since it was an executive program, they're like, so you're working, you're probably working full time and you're taking an accelerated executive program. Here are the things that may happen in your body. Here are signs. Here are things you can do to support and cope in the best way you possibly can. And here's resources to help you. And I was like, oh no, I'm already there. And this is day one of orientation. And this is pre adding school to my life. So that was really helpful. And those peer groups were amazing. The second thing I did is I got myself uh, a coach. And so at first I didn't know that's what it was, but I went into a three day program and followed by like weekly coaching, probably, I don't know, for like nine months. And it was really creating distinctions and understanding what is so versus what is not so. So what is so is that I'm working from home, I am taking a break and I am with you right now. That is what is so. What I can make it mean is I'm not a reliable employee because I'm taking my lunch an hour early. I'm not, you know, 
as dedicated as I could be because I'm, I'm making this a priority. Like you make up all these stories when all that's really happening is we're on a call right now, we're recording it and I can do, I'm going to go back to work after this. So when I was able to create those distinctions, that impact really shifted because I realized you didn't need a hundred percent. And I was, what is, what does 97% mean? Nothing. It means 97%. It means 97 out of a hundred. It doesn't mean good, bad, doesn't mean right, wrong. It means 97. And I had put so much previously of my self-worth that was completely tethered to a grade that I, I wouldn't relinquish it. And then once I realized it didn't mean anything, it didn't, no one's asking for my grades. No one's saying, Hey, you don't deserve this degree because you got a 70 in one of your courses none of that. Like you can fail a course or withdraw from a course and it doesn't mean anything. And that happens everywhere in life. Like even when we do marketing campaigns right now, some of them are like, the results are just uh, unprecedented. I've never seen anything like this. And other times I'm like, wow, that did not perform. And really taking away the word failure and recognizing that failure just means it was an outcome. You planned for this outcome and that outcome didn't happen. Like, and when you can take out the emotion from it, the freedom. And then that's, you know what else happens when you sit there and 97% isn't enough? You become a perfectionist. And what do perfectionists do? They only do things when they can be perfect, which means they aren't, they are in a fixed mindset. They won't take chances to grow or if they're going to grow, they will only grow behind the scenes. And you know what, when you grow behind the scenes without community, your growth is, your growth is usually slower. Imagine collaborate, as you talked about, like collaborating and like showing the bandwidth that you people can be exposed to intellectually when you share your podcast or you share what other podcasts there is so much more available and so rather than hiding in that 90 has to be 100 percent and 97 isn't enough what if 50 was enough what if you learned from others what if you said hey like i have this idea and taking away the meaning that i don't know everything and that's okay that was huge for me because i i was really <laughs> under the impression i had to know it otherwise i was not enough, not smart enough, not good enough. I didn't try hard enough and I was a failure, which is just, it's ludicrous. And so everyone has their thing. So if you're listening to this and you're like, man, not smart enough, that doesn't even matter. It needs to be, I'm not fit enough. Well, make it your own variety and consider that there is no such thing as fit enough and consider that there is no such thing as smart enough. There's no way you could know everything. There's just, I mean, maybe, but at this point in time to know everything in the snap of your fingers is just not possible. So how can you love things? If you can't accept things right now, exactly as they are, there's no space for growth. If you're not aware of things exactly as they are and you're super tied up and caught up in emotions and perfectionism, you won't have access to creating new things. So having the coaching and having uh, my master's program really transformed it and making sure I'm staying with, in conversation with people who uh, have a growth mindset makes a huge difference. That's awesome. Uh, something that I want to talk about as well is you have a role at Hive. What was your journey? What was your journey like getting into that? Like what inspired you to do that in the first place? Okay. So you know how I said a lot of the things just, I don't, I don't know if I mentioned this to you in a previous conversation, but sometimes things just happen for me and they're like, here, try this thing. Uh, so I trust opportunities. I trust things that show up. Um, I can remember being like my group fitness journey probably started three, four, maybe five years ago inside of a studio and definitely five years ago on like stairs, like outside stairs, whatever, like I can do that. But in a studio, there's some level of intimidation that came for me and I didn't even try. I was so nervous because I, I tried orange theory and I know what a row is. And man, that is, that was, I was like, I don't know. So my role at Hive is I'm one of their row instructors and I love it. But if you would have said to me a year ago, Clarissa, you are going to teach row. I would have laughed at you. I would have said that is crazy and I don't want that. And so this is the powerful thing about being open and saying yes to when you are nervous and letting go of you might look bad or like, like you don't know what you're doing or you might get sick in class or whatever, whatever those, whatever's there for you just being like, okay, it's there and I'm just going to hold it in time and space. And I can acknowledge that it's there, but I don't have to like 
hold on to it and, and squeeze it in and, and keep it for myself. I can just leave it over there. So what ends up happening is I get invited to a row class by one of my friends, Alyssa. And she's like, Clarissa, let's go to row. I know you love working on the mornings. So let's go to a 6 a.m. row class. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to die for sure. <laughs> this is not going to go well. And I go and all of a sudden I realize like, oh my gosh, this is also a learnable skill. Oh my gosh, you can get better at this. And then I got really excited and started going all the time. And then I started bringing other people with me. And then one day, uh, Hive posted about row instructors. And I tagged my friend Powan in it, kind of as a tease, being like, hey, Powan, you should te- you should be a row instructor. And uh, I followed up with them. And they're like, you know, you we think you'd make a good one. Do you want to try? And like my girlfriend actually did not want to teach row. I just thought she, it would be very funny if she did. And I was like, what if I said yes? I was like, okay, let's learn more. And what I, what this also gives me access to is that like enrolling others, that sense of freedom and excitement, that sense of leadership, that whole sense of holding space for others so they can live into their greatness. And so when I connected those dots for me, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a perfect fit. And so we did this intense training. It was like hours a day of rowing. I thought I was like, when they, when they sent the schedule, I was like, this is, I don't know if I'll survive this, but let's give it a go. And I was also uh, like suffering with like I had laryngitis. I had no voice. So you couldn't even practice teaching. I was like, (laughs) it was, we had very quiet music for me, but then it unfolded. And so what became available to me was this community of empowered people, empowering other people. And I sometimes think empowerment is almost becoming like a cliche or a platitude. And I, think you know when whenever we hear those kinds of sayings if they become so common there's a reason you know like it, there's there's power behind the words and really sitting in and connecting with even Bree who's the studio owner and seeing what she does for others and how she's quick to find innovative solutions and the love she has for her family and all of the, I was like wow this is a great place to be and going into the studio and teaching holy moly like who would have thought that you know in my 30s i'd be like you know what i should try (laughs) i should become a row instructor i wouldn't have and so getting out of that mindset and and forgetting any of the stereotypes or rules i put in place for myself and where i should be right now versus where i am and just looking at what is in alignment with who i am and who i want to become you find the best experiences those that team is amazing those girls are so much fun I love going. It is is such a hoot. So you had a little bit of doubt as to whether that was kind of like the role for you, if you could see yourself being a row instructor. And then you went through that process, and now you are a row instructor. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find yourself in similar situations in other aspects of life where, where you now have tools in the toolbox to uh, get rid of the, the self-doubt? Oh, for sure. One of the the fastest thing I can do uh, is actually, and actually I have a post going up about it today, I think, today, tomorrow. Uh, It's about, like, what if that thing you believe about yourself really isn't true? What if it's not true? Like, we, and so so many times we we assume that the thing that we think is true about ourselves is so true that we don't even think to look at it, which is crazy. Well, why would you look at it if you think it's true? So, the practice of self-leadership, leading self, self-awareness is super important. So my original apprehension about being a row instructor is like, I'll, I'll tell people, or I would have said in the past, oh, I just don't think I want to do it, which is a really beautiful cover-up for, I don't think I can. What if I'm not strong enough? I don't know if I'm good enough. Like, that's a really good wall for something that's masking something totally different. And we, I, I let myself off the hook all the time. Oh, I just don't want to. You don't want to, is that really what it is? Or is it something else? And so developing a self-reflective practice and working with people who are good at it, whether it's a coach or a therapist and bringing out those prompts will give you the chance to do it. So for the for tactics to walk away from today is like, what do I hold as absolutely true about myself? And write down five things and then look at them and say, okay, is this really true? Like, I really, and, and look at the things that you don't love about yourself. Like, I really don't think I could ever do the splits. Well, is that 100% true? Like, do you know for sure 
you can't do that. Okay. I don't really, I don't really think I can run a business on my own because I've never been a solo entrepreneur. I need, I need my full-time job and I need to be an entrepreneur. Well, have you ever tried just being an entrepreneur? Would it look different? Would you treat your business differently? Like, do I absolutely with 100% certainty? No, I can't. And so that's getting rid of the self-doubt. Like, you know, there's no, there's very few things in life that are certain. And what's interesting about this pandemic, it is, it is one of the first times we've ever been aware of our uncertainty in recent times. Like, if I really think about it, there's, I trust that I get in my car and I can drive anywhere and I'll arrive there. Do you want to know how many car fatalities there are in a year? Like, I'm an, I'm crazy for going into my car, not recognizing there's a risk. Yet I do it. I just don't recognize the uncertainty all the time. And so if you're able to zoom out and recognize that you can't possibly with certainty know anything for 100% and consider that rather than a fearful thing as a place for possibility, you have access to new transformation. You have access to new possibilities, outcomes, ideas. Who knows what will happen? Well, it's so true. I mean, that's an important takeaway for anyone, whether it's someone who's struggling in their business, someone who's frustrated with with their current social situation. Like I think everybody's lives have changed in some way. There's very few people who have been unaffected by just the whole change in the world, just the change in priorities and the change in finances and in the economy and in social structure and stuff. And it's just like, yeah, like there's always a risk. So how are you going to face it? How are you going to handle it? How are you going to move forward? Absolutely. And it can feel if you, I can't even remember who wrote it. It's like false evidence appearing real is fear. And so, I mean, you know what? There is definitely things to be afraid of. And uh, the experience of fear is real and uncertainty is real. But uncertainty doesn't mean fear. You know, I want to know how many people when they propose to their partners are feeling a little like, oh my gosh, is this person for sure going to say yes? Like they don't know. But they still do it. I've seen... You know, the, I've seen epic fails of proposals online where guys will propose to their person in the middle of a big NBA game and the girl's like, <laughs> and so, I mean, that takes some level of courage to say, I'm going to publicly propose to someone because you, you, they may say no, but they're going to go for it thinking the person's going to say yes and live into the possibility, even though the outcome may be a no. So if you were to live into any outcome and have it possibly work in your favor, what would you do? How would you behave differently? What choices would you make? What would you try? I think that'll get I'm a lot of people thinking. It. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's right? just like people are their own biggest enemy when it comes to um, perception of self and uh, like understanding our own potential. When When we kind of like we're drawing our own walls around ourselves. We could knock any one of those walls down. It's just the fact that we believe in them so much. We believe that we can't move forward. We can't move sideways. We can't move in any direction, but where we are, but it's actually like the example that I use time and time again is like one of the richest dudes in the world makes his money off the internet. Like there wasn't internet like 20 years ago. I mean, maybe a bit longer than that, but still it's just like, give your head a shake. There's people in their nineties who are, dumbfounded by the fact that Amazon is like uh, an empire of wealth. I mean, the dude started in his like garage or something and it's like any anything is possible if you believe in yourself. And it's not to sound hippy-dippy, but when a person's feeling like they've uh, come across an obstacle that cannot be faced, well, truth be told, it can be. It just might take some some creative thinking and some self-belief. Totally. Absolutely. And so I think it's just, it, if you can't muster the belief in yourself, cause I know how hard that is. Like I'm constantly facing it. Like every time we launch a campaign, every time I launch a new course, every time I bring on a new client, I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is going to work. And it's, it, I can't always muster self belief. I can't always muster faith in myself, but I do know, I guess I, I'm also big, not on the word, but I love the word. And, um, But for me is like cutting off what I first originally said and is like this coexists. So although my self-doubt can exist in those moments, I can also be like, 
there's a possibility that I don't know yet. You know, sticky notes were an accident. They didn't know what they were creating. They were trying to create the strongest glue ever. They, you know, even if the outcome isn't what you expect, is there something you were generating that wasn't previously possible? And what are you going to learn when you come out of it? Like, you might try something totally new. When you, you're like, okay, we, we did this event and we learned that scullery is not like actual plates and spoons and forks weren't great, but people loved the biodegradable option so that they could sit on the patio. Like, oh, well, we thought, it, we thought people really would want like formalized plates and dinner, whatever. But scullery, scullery didn't serve the people's experience. And so that wasn't a failure. That was an opportunity. But we didn't consider that as a possibility because we had this vision. I use that an example like that because it's so small. It's I, I believe in the microscopy of transformation. It's everywhere. There's intelligence in the microscopy. So, so the smallest thing that you can do or shift and the smallest thing you can do to take on an opportunity is just say yes. It feels huge, but what's the action? You said yes. That's that's huge. That's true. When it comes to setting goals, because I'm curious, you must be setting goals. How do you set your goals? How do you make them happen? How do you plan them out, map them out, whatever you do? Okay, this is hippy-dippy. Ready? Okay. Uh, for me, I literally seek divine intervention. So I consider like everything, there's just too much intelligence around me. When I watch my tulips move to change to face the sun, I'm like, wow. There's, there's a sense of knowing between things on earth, anything that has any form of cellar structure that I'm like, there's just wisdom there that I don't know. So for me, I, I sit with myself and I get quiet and I'm like, okay, what is something that I want, I want to do or become, or who do I want to be? And it, sometimes when I connect with who I want to be, I'm like, okay, when I'm that person, what does that person do? And if there's, specific actions i'll be like okay yeah this person can really do wheel pose or this person would totally be active in their community how would they be active okay this person would probably you know support with the kindergarten programming or fundraising or this person would really support the development of some seniors rec or whatever it is and then i'm like wow if that's the person i want to become that's an amazing goal other ways i set goals is i look at what lights me on fire when i look around like when i see people doing things. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Like I want in, that's another way I set goals. So I kind of look for my bodily cues as to what's next. Sometimes it's just like a drop in the bucket. Like I'm going to run a half marathon. That's what I'm going to do. And it's that easy. But there, I think there's more than one way to come in and access goal setting. And it works for differently for different people. But through, like I was never that way for a goal as a goal setter. I would just write a list. But I was like, where did those ideas come from? Right? Like they're most of them are heart-centered. They're coming from something I like, know, love, or trust, or want to be a part of, or want, I think will help me grow. I'm just now being more intentional about my connection with it. So is there ways that you've had to keep yourself accountable? Have you ever set out to achieve a goal and then fallen off the wagon and then had to jump back on the wagon? Or, or what's your journey or experience been like in that capacity? Okay, my favorite goal that fell apart was my master's degree. So I set a goal and I was going to complete it in the timeline. I was like, I had two years to finish it. It's an accelerated program. Like in that, I mean, most master's degrees are two years, but mine was working full time and doing a master's with just no breaks. So you weren't always, you didn't have time off. You had maybe a week off here or there. And so I had, I was finishing in two years because I was going to be at the top of my class and I was going to finish in two years. And then my appendix burst and I was, literally on morphine in the hospital bed writing papers which is by the way not the best way to write a paper don't advise it i don't recommend it and i can remember having to come to terms with that goal wasn't going to happen and like even now like sometimes i get like emotional about it because i'm like wow like i really wanted it that way what difference does it make if i had it that way it doesn't make a difference i still did it and so my way of getting back on the bandwagon was um I had taken time off because after you almost die, turns out you need some recovery time. So I couldn't just jump back into it the second I was out of the hospital. I had to let my body recover. And I had everyone uh, that knew about my goal was super supportive. They're like, Clarissa, you will finish this. You will come back to this. You need to be gracious. And so 
I think getting back on a bandwagon or goal chasing, goal crushing after you've fallen off, whether it was because you almost died or because you ate a chocolate bar and you weren't supposed to, um, you said you were going to give up refined sugar and you didn't. It, It doesn't mean it's forever. Like, I'm not in a good mood every day. It doesn't mean I can't have access to a good mood again. So being gracious and giving myself space. So it took me three and a half years to finish it because I took a year and a half off in the middle because I was so sick. I couldn't, what was I supposed to do? So I, and, and when I decided to get back on, I told people about it and I told them about my experience. Like, I'm really nervous. I've been out of school for a year and a half. I don't know if I remember how to write in APA style anymore. What if I've forgotten how to do research? What if I, and I just kind of aired what was um, upsetting me or holding me back or having me in fear. And I talked to people who knew more than I did. So always bring in experts, you know, like people that you know, either know you or know what to do. And one of those people was my aunt who is just tremendously empowering and, and so gentle. And she was like, Clarissa, let's say you forgot how to format APA. I was like, okay, you've totally forgotten us. Okay. She's like, how would you figure it out? I was like, well, I'd go probably on Owl's website because they have a really good AP formatting. She's like, so you could figure it out. She's like, I was like, yeah. She's like, okay, is that, is how, how much time do you think that's going to take? I was like, well, probably like 10 minutes. She's like, okay, so do you think you could do that in 10, you think you could do it in 10 minutes? Yeah. And like had someone else break it down for me and like echo what was possible. And I was like, oh, it just feels scary and it's not. And so this, this ties into a lot of things that feel scary. Like when you're in it, it feels like a century, like, have you ever cried and like you realize like, you feel like you've been crying for an hour and you look up and it's only been a minute or two and you're like, wow, that felt like two hours. When you're in emotion and you're and it's rushing through you or you're in fear, it can feel like time has expanded and more time has passed than has actually passed. And then when it comes to goal crushing, fear can really get in the way. So make that false evidence appearing real. Be known as false evidence appearing real and it'll get you back on the bandwagon. Well, I think that was a great way to expand on that. I mean, when you were talking about it, the first thing I thought about was anybody in post-secondary right now, anybody just graduating high school, um, that fear of like that next step or that fear of, uh, or just like the, the loss of what they expected to happen and what actually happened. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think it's a great takeaway to understand, to just like break it down. Um, what is it that bothers you the most? Are you really uh, losing that or is it just going to be restructured, maybe happening later, happening differently? Um, a lot of the, the innovations that I've seen uh, making the, the ceremonies still happen, but in a totally different way have been really cool. Um, I saw somebody receive their, their grad dress in the mail and they still were able to showcase it to family. They were still able to do a backyard thing. And honestly, like from my perspective and my life experience, I think that means a lot more. Like when you have the people who like, when your heart is happier, when those specific people see it, it means more than the other people in the crowd that it wouldn't have mattered otherwise. So like, just cause you're missing out on a gathering of a hundred people or a thousand people or 5,000 people doesn't mean that you can't go through the exact same like emotional process that makes you feel better about having achieved that accomplishment. Because sometimes it's like, three people are the people that make you feel better rather than like 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. Totally. And I think you make such a great point. Like it's tying back to that feeling thing that we've we've talked about a few times. It's like when you're able to generate that experience on a cellular and emotional level, it can literally be the same. Like whether it's your grad, whether it's your job, whether it's, you know, the kind of car you wanted, like you can really make those experiences very similar for yourself just by generating and putting yourself in the right situation to create those emotions. Like I know that, okay, this particular mug, literally, I don't even know if you can see it, it's probably backwards. It literally says happy, but I will pick this mug over every other mug because coffee, all, all I really want is the coffee. But what I love is the mug and I know it'll, it's tiny and little, but it's going to make the difference for me. So what are the things that will make a difference for you? And can you let go? See, expectations will kill you. And what I, what I mean by that is, you know, if you expect things a certain way and they don't turn out, what's available to you? Failure, uh, a sense of failure, 
disappointment, feeling defeated, feeling helpless. Now, what if you suspended your expectations and were open to new ideas, new creative solutions, new possibilities? Well, you won't be sitting there feeling necessarily defeated. It may not look exactly like how you thought it would, but it doesn't mean it can't have a tremendous impact. It's true. So I have a question for you, and it is if you could give one piece of advice, one piece of advice on how to live your life to the fullest in the most authentic way, what would that piece of advice be? Get super clear on what you value and have a group of people that will support you in living into what you value. Because regardless of what you do or who you are with, when you are in alignment with what touch moves and inspires you, you will be unstoppable. That's great advice. So that basically wraps it up for us today. I'd like to thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I love chatting with you. Your challenge for today's episode is, I want you to think of a situation in which you could take a risk on yourself. It's a safe risk, but it's a scary risk. And I want you to take that risk. Good luck. Post in the comments if you're brave. Otherwise, thank you for watching or listening to The Lifestyle Chase.